what are the most certain things in your life? What's the most certain things that you experience in this life? I think there are three certainties that we all, regardless of background or location, have. Taxes, Texas heat, and death. Now when it comes to taxes, I'm talking to a bunch of Texans, so I need not say more. When it comes to Texas heat, it's amazing. So we lived here for nine years, and then we're in Washington, D.C. for three. And this spring, so we moved back in January, and the spring was wonderful. Until one day, the sun showed up on my front lawn and was like, hey, I'm here with my friend Humidity, and I'm, I'm here to make your life miserable. The Texas heat is brutal. It's a certainty every summer. So we pray, Lord, come quickly. If not, bring October soon. <laughs> but we praise God for air conditioning. So taxes, Texas heat, and death. Though there are breaks from taxes, and there are breaks from, from Texas heat, there are no breaks from death. He is relentless and shows no partiality. He shows no partiality in the sense that he comes for all. And he will come for all. How has the reality that you will one day die, how has that truth shaped how you live right now? You see, we've been given this life, entrusted with this life by God, to live faithfully for a season. For it will come to an end. When? We have no idea but we know that the end will come. Death is a certainty for all. It's not if you die, but when you'll die. So the question isn't if you'll die, it's how you will live in light of death. Are you the kind of person that just assumes naturally that you have decades to live out your life? Are you the kind of person that feels the weight of that final breath, so much so that it shapes your every moment of your every day? How should we live in light of the end? That's the question we're after this morning, and I think Psalm 90 has the answers for us. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and grab them and turn to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90. And we'll read all 17 verses. So why don't you follow along with me as I read. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening 
it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let the work, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This summer, we are walking through the book of Psalms. There are 150 psalms broken down over five different books. So each week over the summer, we're taking a different psalm from each book. Uh, this allows us to get a glimpse of all of Israel's history, kind of see the mountain peaks and valleys of Israel's life. And here, what we are seeing is how the people of God talked about God, sang to God, prayed to God in times of triumph and tragedy and trials. And here we see that Psalm 90 begins book four of the Psalms and is attributed to Moses. He's called the man of God. That's a reference he gets throughout scripture at times. Uh, we don't know when Moses wrote this, but it's safe to assume that he writes it post-Sinai. That's where he gets the Ten Commandments. And most likely post-Numbers 14 where Israel is led right up to the land. They're right where they're supposed to be, the promised land that God had given them. And yet they rejected the Lord and rebelled probably safe to assume it's after Numbers 20, after Miriam dies, Moses' sister, and after Moses is instructed there, do you remember what happens? Moses, the, he hears the people grumbling, so he and Aaron go before the Lord, and they ask God, these people are grumbling, yet again, what are we supposed to do with them? And God says, take your staff, and go to a rock, and speak to the rock, and it will bring forth water. But what did Moses do? Moses went to the rock, and yet he did not speak to the rock. It said he hit the rock two times, and yet in his disobedience, God was faithful to provide. Water came from the rock, but it proved to be a grievous sin on Moses' part, for the Lord spoke and said, you shall not enter the land. Listen to what God actually says there in Numbers 20. He says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into that land that I have given them. Moses, after his hard labors of leading the people in Egypt and after their rebellion, can now not enter the land because of his own. 
So I think this is the setting in which Moses is writing Psalm 90. It's the only psalm we see that's attributed to him. And how does Moses respond in the light of his hardships? How does he respond with his own mistakes? How does he respond in the face of death? Well, he writes Psalm 90. Even though he doesn't get the promised land, he still goes to the one who made the promise here in Psalm 90. And I think Moses shows us a few ways that we should respond in light of hardship and trial and death. When we're facing the the hardest things this life offers, Moses gives us three things that we should do. And here are the three things. And this is my outline for the note takers. Number one, rest in God. Rest in God. Verses one through two. Number two, reckon with your fate. Reckon with your fate. That's verses 3 through 12. And the third is request of God according to his promises. It's verses 13 through 17. So rest in God, verses 1 and 2. Reckon with your fate, verses 3 through 12, and request of God according to his promises, verses 13 through 17. I pray this sermon helps you to believe that God will outlast your suffering and that his promises are more certain than death itself. Let's look at point one, rest in God. Look at verse one again. Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. But because Israel had not entered the land due to their rebellion and Moses wouldn't because of his, yet he still cries out in the middle of the scorching heat, in the middle of the desert, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. They had no land. They had no shelter, but they had a home because they had God. This has always been the reality for God's people. God has always been his people's dwelling place. I mean, just think back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and they're finally aware of their own nakedness. Who was it that covered them from their shame? It was God himself. We see that he takes an animal and he, he kills the animal and he, he covers them with garments of skin so they no longer feel their shame. He was their dwelling place. You see, throughout Throughout the Old Testament, in particular Genesis, with Abraham, God calls Abraham, he knows not where he goes, and yet he had a home because he had God. God was his provider, his shield, and his protector. Same with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. They might live in tents or palaces, but that was not their home. God was their dwelling place. He is the one who protected them from the enemy. He is the one who protected them from harm and danger. And Moses here, in the face of disappointment, cries, I may, not, I may not have a land, but I have a home because I have God. And just listen to what Moses says to the people who are now about to enter the land in Deuteronomy 33. So Moses is allowed to, to see the land from Pisgah and he's allowed to take the people up to right to the edge, but he's not allowed to go in. And listen to what Moses says to the people before they enter in Deuteronomy 33. He says, there is none like God, O Jeserun, who rides through the heavens to your help through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. What can happen to those who are in the everlasting arms of God? Nothing. He does not abandon or desert his people, even in their rebellion. He was their 
their dwelling place, their, their shelter, their, their comfort. How did Moses comfort himself in the midst of the wandering, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of death? He finds comfort in his God. Not in his possession, but in God. Not in his position, but in God. He rests in God, his dwelling place. Almost every week, I get asked the question, where is this church going to meet long term? And the answer remains the same. I have no idea. I hope that the Lord gives us a physical building and a permanent meeting location. But my confidence and security and comfort for this church is not found in a building. It's found in the God who saved us from our sins. And as long as we have him, we have everything we need. He will care for us, especially if we don't have a permanent meeting location. He will care for us always. We may not have a house, but we will never be homeless, for we have God. He will always be with us, and he will always care for us, even to the very end. What Moses says here, it's a good reminder to, the, to enjoy the gift of your home, but don't fall in love with it. Uh, Megan and I have been married 10 years, and we lived in seven different places. It's been a lot of moving. Uh, I'm tired of moving. I'm ready to find home. But there's a real danger I put too much weight on my house. But the reality is you and I are simply keeping those houses warm for the next family or the next person. We will probably spend more time in our graves than in our homes. It is not our dwelling place. God himself is. So enjoy the good gift that God has given you. But make sure your eyes are fixed on what eternity holds forever, which is God and his people with him. He is our home. He is our dwelling place. Moses, in his distress, comforts himself in his God that he is his dwelling place. And then in verse 2, look down there and see what he says. Moses says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here Moses declares God is a sovereign creator and the eternal God. He praises God as the one who made all that we see and everything in it. The world is no accident. It didn't just happen. It is the creation of God himself. And Moses says, before all existed, before all that we see was, God, you were. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What does it mean to praise God for being eternal? It means that we praise him, that he's got no beginning and he's got no future. He does not experience a succession of moments like we do. God has been and always will be eternally present. That's who God is. We praise him that he has been and always will be. He existed before all things and all things exist because of him. He's not bound by time or space, but feels all eternity with his presence. And this God who is eternal, he knows no change. He has always been and always will be God. He is love and goodness and wisdom and power and holiness and has been and always will be for all eternity. He is perfect and absolute in all his ways and that will never change. This is who our God is. He is unchanging. God is and God will be for all eternity. The world changes, our circumstances change, how we feel changes, but God himself can never change. Moses finds comfort to know that. 
Why might he find comfort in his distress? Why might this be assuring to Israel? Because their circumstances have changed. The trials of their life have increased. But they can have the assurance that God will outlast their trials. That he will surpass their greatest afflictions. They can have comfort to know that God has not abandoned them or forgotten them or ceased to be. Moses considers his circumstances, he considers his death and finds comfort that God not only created all things, he has eternally existed as God and always will. His pain will cease, but God never will. God will outlive, outlive his suffering and his trial. Brothers and sisters, this is why we need a thick and robust view of who God is before we enter the trial. We need to think well and deeply about who God is so when we are faced with death, we lean on and we trust the one who can never die. So that when we are overcome with sorrow and depression and the changes in our life, we lean on and we run to the one who has no beginning, who has no end and knows no change. When we are weary and looking for rest for our souls, we run to the one who needs no rest, who is never weary. We need to see this everlasting God. He is our comfort. He is our shield. He is our dwelling place. So church, when you are faced with despair and disappointment and death, remember your God is your dwelling place. Your sorrows and affliction and even death itself will wear out and fade will never fade if you want to live well in this life in the face of trials and tribulations and death itself rest in God let him be your comfort now and always Moses not only rests in God but we see in verses 3 through 12 that he reckons with his fate if you want to live well in light of the end you must reckon with your fate so in verses 3 to 12, what we have is kind of three different movements. 3 to 6, Moses shows us what our fate is. Verses 7 through 11, he shows us the reason for our fate. And verse 12, he gives us a request in light of our fate. If you look down in verses 3 and 4, in light of the eternal God, Moses writes, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Moses says, though God, you are eternal, we are not. We are ephemeral. We are like mist that vanishes. We are here for a moment, and we are gone the next. He says, God, you return man to dust. What do you think Moses has in mind here when he writes this? Well, I think he has in mind Genesis chapter 3. Then he has in mind when Adam and Eve sinned, when they rebelled God, when they trusted the word of the serpent over God himself, God brings judgment and he speaks to Adam and he says, to dust you shall return, for you are dust. And since that moment, that has been our fate. We are dust and we shall return to dust. In verse four, Moses transitions to who God is. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's passed or a watch in the night. Think back to Genesis 5. Methuselah was 969 years. That is quite the life. And yet for God, that's simply an evening to him. That is nothing. Even the greatest life a man can live is but a watch in the night to God. It passes and it fades. In verse 5 and 6, he continues on with the illustration, kind of helping us see our own nature. 
how impermanent we actually are. He said, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Again, Moses is trying to help himself and Israel and us see today the brevity and the transitory nature of our lives. We are here for a moment and then we die. There is no way around it. You cannot run or hide from death. He will find you out. More certain than taxes and Texas heat is death itself. It will come. And for being honest, we don't like to talk about death. It makes us uncomfortable and our world does everything it can to shield itself from the reality of death. Many of us in our world are kind of like the comedian Woody Allen who said, I'm not afraid to death. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. That's how we think about death. We, we don't want to be near it or around it. We don't want to think about it at all. And what's interesting is with all of our technology, with all the advances in modern medicine, the average person still lives 77 years in America. With all the technology we have, that is how brief our life is. The best of men's efforts, they can delay death but a few years, but they cannot defeat death. Death is our persistent enemy and we all seek to avoid it at all costs. We become terrified and shocked at rumors of wars and pandemics and when we see death tolls rise, and naturally so. But it's almost as if those things make us more vulnerable to death and that's not true. They only reveal how vulnerable we actually are. We want the answer and the antidote to death, but there isn't one. Death will come for us all one day. But the question remains, why? Why death? Why can't we defeat it? Why can't we find the cure? Moses answers in verses 7 through 11. He says, We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. So why? What is the reason for our fate? Because God has brought us to an end by his anger. It is God's judgment upon us, and that's why we die. Why is he angry with us? What have we done? Well, verse 8 tells us. He has set our iniquities before him, our secret sins in light of his presence. We die because we have sinned against a holy God. That is the reason. No one ever dies from old age. They die because of sin. They die because they have rebelled against God. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God, and God must punish sin. He sees everything. He knows everyone, and he will hold everyone accountable for all that they have done. There is no secrets with God. God is not kept out by virtual, private networks. There are no cash payments that God does not have a receipt of. There's no text message that he did not see. No slander or gossip that he has forgotten. No lust or hateful desire that will go unpunished. God sees all, and he knows all, and he will hold everyone accountable for their sin and their rebellion. Simply put, we die because we deserve to die. Because we have rejected God and we have gone our own way. We are all like Adam and Eve in the garden. We have chosen to rebel against God and so therefore chosen death itself. We are like Israel grumbling in the wilderness that God leads us right up to the promised land. And we say we'd rather wander, Father. We don't want your good gifts. 
We are like Moses who's seen God time and time and time again provide, and yet we still choose to go our own way. We have chosen sin, and in doing so, we have chosen death as our fate. God has warned us, but we did not listen. This is a heavy message, but it's the reality of all of our lives. For the non-Christians in the room, do you ever think about death? And when you think about death, what are you thinking about? Do you have any comfort as you think about death? We as Christians not only have comfort, we have confidence in facing death. Why? Because of Jesus, those who believe in him, though they die, yet shall they live. Because God put him forward in mercy to take the place our place to live the life we could not live, to die the death we could, that we should have died. He is one who took the punishment that we deserve. He took on and satisfied the right and good wrath of God for our sins. And there's good news that God did not leave him dead in the grave. He's risen from the dead so that whoever would repent and believe would no longer experience God's wrath, but be made pure in God's sight. And that offer of repentance and grace and reconciliation is there for you today. God commands all people everywhere now to repent and turn to him. If you want assurance and confidence in facing death, turn to Jesus. He is the only hope. Trust in him and find forgiveness for your soul and assurance that you will live not only now, but for all eternity. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, I will be at the back of the room right over there. And I would love to talk with you about how, it, how you can become a Christian and how you can have your sins forgiven. I would love to share more about the hope we have in the Lord Jesus. For those of us as Christians, we do have assurance, but it doesn't necessarily make it any easier sometimes. For being honest, death is hard to face. Losing loved ones is painful. Facing our own demise, the end of our years, is very challenging. But we must always remember that death does not have the final word. It will not. It might hold us and imprison our bodies, but it can never have our soul. It will always be with the Lord. And the day shall come when Christ descends, where that grave will have to give up our bodies. Because Christ commands it so. There's a quote that surfaced several years ago of a pastor speaking at a graveside of another friend who's a pastor in the 1700s. And I want us all to have this assurance as we face death. So if I die and you're standing at my grave, these are the things I want you to say. This is what John Ryland says to his brother, dear friend. Farewell, thou dear old man. We leave thee in possession of death until the resurrection day. But we will bear witness against thee, O king of terrors. At the mouth of this dungeon, thou shalt not always have possession of this body. It shall be demanded of thee by the great conqueror that at that moment when he shall return, you shall resign thy prisoner, O ministers of Christ, ye people of God, ye surrounding spectators, prepare. Prepare to meet this old servant of Christ at that day, that hour when this whole place shall be but nothing but life and death shall be swallowed up in victory. That's the assurance and the certainty we all should have. Our graves are but a moment.
but eternity with God is forever. Christ went into the grave so that we would be raised from ours for all eternity. Christian, as you face the hardships of life, as you have to reckon with your own fate, trust the reality that Christ has overcome the grave. We should not fear, for he will bring us to himself one day for all eternity. In light of this, Moses makes a request in verse 12. As he's considered the, his own nature, that he's transitory, that he's ephemeral. As he saw the reason why, God's, God's judgment. In verse 12, he makes a request of God. He says this, look there with me now. So teach us, so in light of all that we've just said, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So in light of the eternality of God, in light of the ephemeral nature of man, Moses' request of God, Father, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now what's interesting is Moses has already numbered our days in verse 10. If you look there, what does he say? He says the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. So I think this request is not so much concerned with the length of our days, but the weight of them. I think he has in mind, he's not worried about what we know mentally about our life, but he wants us to feel the weight and the significance of each day that we have. You see, it's, it's one thing to know something's true and a whole different matter to believe and feel something to be true. So for example, uh, this past week, this past Tuesday afternoon, I was putting together some Ikea bookcases. It's a great means of sanctification. If you're desiring to be more holy, buy some Ikea furniture and just put it together. And if you've been to my house, there's a row of bookcases in my office and there's this little bitty sliver that's open and there's one bookcase from Ikea that would fit perfectly. And after some construction, we finally got it in there. But I bought an extension that I wanted to go up there because I have so many books and I was like, it's going to be a great place for it to look really nice. And I was bound and determined like the man that I am to get that thing in there. And I put the extension on top, which is another shelf, and I put it in there and I push really hard. And all of a sudden, I feel one of the hardest hits on my head that I've ever felt the extension falls and the edge falls perfectly in my head. Now, I believed that thing could fall, but my perspective radically changed when it fell on my head and I had to go to the ER to get stitched up with glue. It's one thing to believe or know something is true and it's a whole different matter to believe it is true for it to shape your entire life. This is what Moses is saying. Lord, help us to believe that we're actually transitory. Help us to believe that we will pass soon. Help us to see that we are vanity and but a mist and that will we be gone soon. And help us to walk wisely in light of this word, of this reality. Moses here is basically saying, Father, let death be our friend. Or as one commentator said, let death be as a preacher to you. Let it be as an evangelist who comes beside you and helps you make sense Help you walk wisely in light of your soon death. Death, if you're willing, will be an ally to you. To help sober you up, to think rightly about your life in this world. To help you make the most of your time here. How would you live if you knew that lunch today or that meal this evening was your last? How would you live in this world if you with your relationships in your church and in your home and with your family and coworkers and non-Christians friends, if you knew you only had one more day with them? How would you fight that sin and temptation if you knew in 24 hours you would be in the presence of God? Jonathan Edwards said this, he made a list of resolutions in light of death and he said, 
I resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. That sobriety is what Moses is after. How would you live and think and talk and order your days if you knew that you would soon die? To be clear, this is not fear-mongering or manipulative or morbid in any way. Moses said it is right for us to consider death and to think on our death so that we might get a heart of wisdom, so that we should seek to live a godly and God-honoring life in the world. You should pray that God would help you see the days the way that he sees them. They are extraordinarily short in light of eternity. J.I. Packer says, only when you know how to die can you know how to live. Do you know how to die today? Are you confident in facing death? For the kids and the teenagers in the room, I think a great prayer to pray for the rest of your life is Psalm 90:12. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Lord, help me to see my own frailty so that I would avoid what is foolish and walk in the way of wisdom. Brothers and sisters, let death be an evangelist to you today so that you might order your days and walk wisely in the world for however long God has you here. So Moses, in light of his demise, of his sentence that he sinned against God, his death is near, he finds rest in God, he reckons with his own frailty, and last, he recounts the promises of God. He requests of God according to his promises. So my third point and final point is to request of God according to his promises. We see this in particular in verses 13 through 17. Verse 12, he makes a request, and then 13, he continues it on. He starts in verse 13 and says, Return, O Lord. Where did God go? So Moses and Israel in this moment feel as though that they have been deserted and abandoned by God because of their sin. That God has turned his face from them, and now he's crying out, Lord, return, come back to us. And then how long, Lord, how, how long will you leave us here wallowing in our sorrow and our grief over what we've done? Have pity on us, return again, comfort us, give us the assurance that we once had. What would give Moses confidence to pray so boldly of God? We see Moses was the covenant head and mediator of the old covenant. It was his responsibility and job to do so. You even see this in Exodus 32. Do you remember that story where Moses is on the mountain for 40 days? He's been uh, with God, received the law. The people are down and they're tired of waiting. So what do they do? They instruct Aaron to create a golden calf to say, this is your God. This is the one who brought you out of Egypt. And God sees it and he burns with anger and he's ready to make an end of them. But it was Moses who interceded on their behalf. He says this, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. And then he pleads based on God's promises. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. God, remember your promises. Relent and turn to your promises. And verse 14 says, and the Lord relented. Moses was a faithful intercessor. But you know what we as Christians have? We have a better one. We have Christ Jesus, who doesn't plead on our behalf based on what God has promised to do. He pleads on what has already been done, what is finished. He pleads based on his blood and his merits and his work. So we can have the same assurance and we can plead of God with the same confidence. 
We can say, God, do not forget us in this world. Remember your promises. Do not neglect us or forsake us because of what your servant, the Lord Jesus, has done. Verse 14 and 15, he continues the requests. He says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. What a prayer. Lord, we have felt your wrath. Now fill our hearts with joy. You have afflicted us. Now make us glad. Do you feel like you've been afflicted by God? Do you feel that you have seen evil in this world? Well, there's comfort for the Christian. For as many days as you have been afflicted, as many days as you have seen evil, so shall your joy and gladness be. It is an assurance, it is a certainty when Christ got up from the grave that you will be glad for all eternity. That he will satisfy you with his steadfast love. This is your future. You may be afflicted in this moment, but glory shall soon come. I think Paul might be meditating on this when he wrote 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Though we wander with a heavy heart in the desert now, we will finally make it home. Your sorrow will be but a mere footnote in the book of eternity. It will pale in comparison to the joy that you experience in the presence of God. Your affliction is but for a moment. Your joy will be for eternity. Do you pray this boldly of God? Do you ask God to satisfy you with his love? To make you glad in him? To cause you to rejoice in him? Have you considered that maybe you have not because you ask not? See, brothers and sisters, God delights in giving himself to his children, so we should delight to ask him to do so. On a regular basis, God, make us glad. Satisfy us all the days of our life that we might be glad and rejoice in you. In verse, verses 16 through 17, Moses makes his final request of God, makes his final appeal. Look there with me now. He says this, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses prays, God, we've seen your mighty deeds before. Let us see them again. And not just us, show them to somebody else. Who does Moses ask that God would show his mighty deeds to? He says, their children. Why in the world would Moses pray for their children? See, I think Moses had settled in his own mind that he would not enter the land. He knew it was true. And so he began to not be concerned about his own sentence that he received, but he was concerned about the next generation. He was concerned about the ones who would go into the land. He's saying, God, bless them. Let your word be true. Do what you said you would do. Moses is saying, if I can't go, God, please be with the ones who will. It's fitting of the godly that they would not only enjoy the benefits of God, but plead with God 
that their children would do, do it as well. Do you plead with God on behalf of your children? I talked to a man a few years ago. He had four daughters. I was getting counsel from him. And he said, when they were little, I prayed for, that, prayed for their salvation. But now, as they're older, I plead with God for their salvation. Brothers and sisters, we should pray just as boldly as Moses does that God would bless our children, that he would show his mighty deeds and his power to the next generation, that we would be like Jacob in some sense and say, God, I will not let you go until you bless my children with saving faith. We should pray boldly and confidently to ask God to bless our children, to show his mighty deeds to them as well. Moses doesn't sulk in his sentence, but instead pleads with God on behalf of the next generation. Then verse 17, he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word favor here is actually not a strong enough word. The word is more like beauty. God, let your beauty shine upon us so that our work would be established. Sounds very much like Exodus 13, 15, when Moses says, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, I'm not going up from here. Because he understood the greatest thing he needed was God to shine upon his work or his efforts would be in vain. That's why Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, for without me you can do nothing. Then Moses makes his final request. In the face of death, Moses asks God, establish the work of our hands. Yes, Father, establish our work. Can you imagine what Moses had been through? Growing up in Egypt, he's run out of Egypt. He's in Midian, happy, attending the sheep. And God says, you're going to be the one to lead my people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. He did not want the job. But God said, you're the one I've chosen to do the job. He does it. He leads the people right up to the land. He'd done all he needed to do. He was faithful to the task. And yet, because of their rebellion, they were sentenced to wander in the desert for 40 years, even though he had done no wrong. And then, one slip one mistake, one distrust of God kept him from entering into the land. Can you imagine how sorrowful he might have felt, how crushed he might be? But in his crushed spirit, he says, God, do not let my labor be in vain. Do not let my labor be in vain. Establish the work of my hands. Do what you said you would do. Brothers and sisters, are you living your life and working towards things that you can pray confidently and boldly? God, establish the work of my hands. God, would my labor not be in vain? Are you giving your life to such a worthy task that you would pray so boldly? God, establish the work of my hands. Do not let my labor be in vain. If you're going to live in light of death, then you might as well give your life to something that's worthy of that prayer. God established the work of my hands. Yes, we, we need teachers and police officers and accountants and lawyers and government officials. These are good and right things. Pursue these jobs, yes and amen. They're good things. They are just not the ultimate thing. And as you do these things, as you go, continue to proclaim the ultimate thing, which is Christ Jesus himself. Give your life to making Christ known to those who are dead in their sins. Give your life and your time and your money to see the gospel go around the world. Give your life to the church because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Give your life 
by doing things that are uncomfortable and sacrificial of your time and yourself so that the name of Christ would continue to go forward in our community and around the world. Be spent for Christ's sake. Or as Paul said, in light of the return of Jesus, in light of death finally being defeated, he says, therefore, because this is a certainty, because this is the end, because Christ will return, because eternity is real, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. You want to live well in light of eternity? Then give your life to the cause of Christ. Give your life to being spent for his sake so that on your last day, when you breathe your last breath, you can pray confidently, Lord, let my labor not be in vain. Establish the work of my hands because I've given it to the cause of making your name known. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we come before you and acknowledge that from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We are not so. We are like grass. We are dust. We are here for a moment and gone the next. Father, we do pray that as long as you have us on this earth, you would satisfy us with your steadfast love. That you would make us glad, even in trials and affliction, even in the face of death, that we might rejoice all our days. And Father, that you would guide and lead us to give ourselves to a worthy cause that we can pray, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Lord, fill us with your spirit and use our lives as long as you have us on this earth for the glory of your name and the good of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.